It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Woohoo! <laughs> and this week, I've got a special guest whose last name I'm not going to give out, and I would really appreciate it if those of you in the chat room would not give out his name, because this video will be seen by hundreds, if not a few thousand other people who are not necessarily well-mannered well taxi members, and we don't want them to bombard him. But say hello to my friend Pedro, who is a former taxi member, uh, owns a music library now, and is a taxi client and does really well for the people that he signs, um, many of whom come through taxi listings. And he and I had a really nice discussion about this topic, so we're gonna talk about it more today. Welcome, Pedro. Hey guys, how's everybody doing? Um, can you guys hear Pedro well enough? Say hello again, Pedro. Hi everybody. Can you hear me okay? Okay, people are saying yes, they can hear you. And I see Reed Gesslin in the uh, chat room. I was just telling Pedro, this is the best chocolate I've ever put in my mouth. Reed stopped by for a, uh, a tour of taxi, I think Thursday of last week, and brought two boxes of this incredible chocolate from Tokyo with them. I just ate the last piece about 10 minutes ago. Um, their words cannot describe how good this chocolate is. So check it out, people. You may want to order some. Mama Nama chocolate. Yeah, Nama chocolate from uh, it's it's. I saw it on uh, eBay. Anyway, thank you, nice. Reed. It's great to meet you, and thank you for uh, bringing that. Um, okay, so this is a, a touchy topic. Um, Reed says he needs. Uh, people are saying you're a little low on the volume. Okay, let me um, bring that up. How am I doing now? Is that better? Uh, let me, uh, I've got a little mixer window I can go to and bring you up. Uh, audio mixer. I can switch to a microphone. I'm just using the webcam right now. Nah, uh, that's okay, because a lot of times when people switch to microphones, it causes more problems than, than offering solutions. Um, oh, Reed says Nama means raw, so raw chocolate. Awesome. Nice. All right, well, hopefully that gets us a little closer um, to being equal in volume. Let me get the chat room open. Hello, you guys. Good to see everybody. Yeah, Pedro is a little soft-spoken. He's very polite. He's Canadian. He can't help himself. <laughs> My, I always have to make this joke that I was in Vancouver one time, met the nicest people I've ever met anywhere in the planet Earth. I'm fairly well-traveled, but the people in Canada, Vancouver specifically, were so nice by the end of the four days I spent there first time. I called my wife up and said, these people are like freakishly nice. If you walked up and kicked them in the shin, they would say, I'm sorry for getting my leg in your way. Um, <laughs> Canadians are so polite and so kind. Um, okay. There we go. Um, okay, so today we're going to talk about a mistake that literally 60% of musicians make, and I would venture to say that it's even more than 60%. We have a recent incident where we know that 60% of taxi members 
made the mistake. And I think taxi members might be a little better educated about the industry side of things than the average musician on the street. Uh, oh, gosh, you want me to turn down a little here? I'm making this easy. I'm just going to move the microphone back. <laughs> That's old school. Uh, all right. Anyway, uh, okay, so what is that mistake? I get best, I can't talk. I bet you guys are dying to know. Um, when musicians sign up for digital distribution, they see a tempting little checkbox that asks something like, would you like us to monetize your music online and collect your royalties? I mean, who wouldn't say yes to that? You check the little box. But do people read the fine print? Oh no, they just want the money. I can't blame them, it's exciting. Oh wow, these guys are gonna monetize my stuff. So uh, there you go. You've heard me talk about this before. We're, we're gonna go a little more in depth today. So, so many musicians see that offer when they're signing up for distribution, they think, why not? They don't realize what a serious mistake they've made. Many musicians forget that they even checked the box years ago on a particular piece of music, maybe an entire album, and then they submit that music to Taxi or anywhere else in the industry um, to potentially get it signed to a film TV specific publisher. Same would be true of a regular publisher on the record radio side of the industry. Um, definitely music libraries, which are film and TV specific um, music publishers. And what they don't realize when they check that little box is they have in fact signed a publishing deal and it comes in varying sizes. Some of the deals are exclusive. Some of them are non-exclusive, meaning that more than one person could potentially represent your music. With exclusive, only one entity can represent you. Uh, and some of the deals are publishing administration deals, meaning that they aren't actually acting as like a pitching publisher doing any of the creative work. But if by some stroke of God, like getting hit by a, well, I don't know, getting hit by a bolt of lightning would be a stroke of God, but about the same odds maybe. Um, you know, somebody bumps into your music on YouTube or anywhere else online, Spotify, wherever, and they think, wow, this would be perfect for that scene in the movie I'm working on. And they reach out to you and they want to license your music and you go, oh, great. And then, so it could be CD Baby, it could be TuneCore, it could be Song Trust. By the way, I want to say upfront, all these companies are totally legitimate companies. I'm sure that they're wonderful in every regard. I don't think they're doing anything wrong, illegal, immoral, unethical at all. However, it's really the fault of the musicians who don't take the time to read what they're signing and don't understand what it is that they've signed, which precludes them from doing other publishing deals. So you're thinking, well, so no big deal. I reach out to a publisher, I send in some music, and they realize that that piece, you know, six years ago was signed to an admin deal or a publishing deal through one of these entities. Um, and then Taxi gets letters like this. Um, here's one forwarded to me from Tom, who is our senior director of A&R at Taxi. He does most of the outreach and has most of the contact with the companies that run listings with us. Um, and he says, Michael, as you know, company name left out for obvious reasons, was a very consistent client for us from 2019 through 2021. Our contact at the company always seemed pleased with our output. I don't recall him expressing any complaints or concerns with our service. Obviously, if he was a consistent client, he liked the service. 
Unfortunately, he has not reached out to us at all in 2022, and he was no longer responding to my monthly outreach, which we normally do. We reach out to companies to say, hey, you need anything this month? So I wrote to him yesterday, and he finally responded with the following. Hey, Tom, all, all is well, thanks, and you? If I'm honest, we've just had too many issues with writers from taxis saying that they can give us the rights we need. We then work with them, and after loads of time spent on working on tracks, it turns out that they've already released the stuff elsewhere and have, whoops, let me get rid of that sound, and have that kind of issue. There we go, that sound is now gone. Um, cheers, and that was from the guy. Um, and then very recently, I got an email from Exhibit A, my friend Pedro sitting there on the other side of the screen, and he said, hey guys, hope you're doing really well. And I want you to know, I mean, we've got about as friendly a relationship with Pedro and his company as could possibly be. There's tons of trust. We've known each other for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. We're friends, you know, we, we talk about our families and stuff. So it's not like he's some hardball and mean client and, uh, you know, pressuring us, but this is what he wrote. Uh, and he's Canadian, so he's like super nice as well. Um, <laughs> hope you're doing really well. Just wanted to give you a heads up that we are more and more running into songs with the artists slash writers have signed publishing admin deals with their distributors or song trust. From the last several song listings, my production coordinator reported some 60% of the people's music we listened to had signed those agreements. Wondering if it might be worth mentioning in the listings, um, they, meaning the musicians, really put themselves in a pickle. They often try to argue that it's not fine um, and that other companies don't have an issue with it. I want to hear more about that. I'm not sure who those companies are. I think Pedro wants to hear more about that as well, unless they're just pitching agencies that take a share of the sink. Just thought I'd let you know. So there's just a couple letters, and um, I, I just I, I don't know how to get every single taxi member to pay attention to this, both the current members we have and the incoming members that we will have by the end of today and tomorrow and the day after that. This is a really serious issue, and I understand why people sign. They just look at that little box and go, heck yeah, sure, I can have somebody monetize my music. That way if somebody stumbles on it, I'm going to get a check. That's great. I don't have to fill out any paperwork, don't have to do any, you know, any work at all. It's just money's going to show up. What they don't realize is they've either signed an exclusive publishing deal where they can't have anybody else represent their music, They've signed a non-exclusive publishing deal, which still has problems of its own in this regard. Um, or they've signed a publishing administration deal, which technically you could publish your own music or have another publisher publish it for you, except the publisher wouldn't want to work with you exclusively or non because they're not going to collect the money that the administration company makes, you know, that admin fee in doing the paperwork. So uh, we've got to solve this problem, taxi members and anybody else who's watching this in the future. It, it's a real issue. And uh, you might think, well, I could just get them to, if a library wants to sign me, um, just say, oh, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll make a phone call on Monday and get them to release me from that deal. Some of them will release you. It takes months, by the way. Others will not release you. 
Um, and by the way, if it takes months, uh, and I'm going to ask Pedro for his opinion on this in a couple of minutes, um, the library is just going to take a pass on you. You're not the most important thing in their world. Although they care for musicians, they care for writers, composers, they are always working in a time crunch situation. They do not have the luxury of saying, oh, that would be awesome. Could you please reach out to CD Baby or TuneCore or SongTrust or whomever and see if they'll release you from this deal and get back to me in a few weeks and let me know. They've already moved on five minutes later to the next piece of music that's available, but not encumbered by one of these deals. So all that said, let me welcome you to the show again, Pedro, who's been very patient letting me do 13 minutes of preamble there. Um, I'd like to start by painting a clear picture for people that's not just as simple as you get a piece of music and 30 seconds later you go, oh my gosh, they already signed you know, a, an admin deal or a pub deal. Um, you guys do vetting of the music. Can you explain from the moment, let's say you get a taxi playlist from a listing that you've run and now your coordinator starts uh, checking it out. What is the process that it goes through before a contract is offered? Sure. Uh, I think I'll take it a, an extra step before that even, before we reach out to taxi. Well, what what's the thought process that went into even reaching out to Taxi in the first place and putting together a brief to send to Tom to rent a listing? So maybe we've done a ton of research on a particular show that we've, we are working with a, a music supervisor on. And so now we, we've determined these are the types of songs that they need for these particular scenes every season. So we reach out to Taxi, here's what we need. Uh, a few weeks later, we get a great email from Taxi. Here's some songs that we screened, we go through them. Um, so that process in itself, the music comes in. We have several people that will audition the music. And then sometimes we have a lot of back and forth of, okay, I think that this would work for that scene. Well, I don't think it would work. So you, sometimes a little bit of of arguing I guess you could say discussions between the team members to figure out okay well what should which one should we sign and then once we've shortlisted the songs then we go to the process of vetting so we look at things like is the song already uh, on Spotify and in places like that because that kind of gives us a little bit of reassurance that maybe this isn't a song that was stolen from a different artist. Um, then we'll check online for websites, SoundCloud, any kind of record of that artist or writer to see, okay, is that song there? What song? What other songs do they have? Um, do they seem like a viable artist that is currently releasing music that we can work with long-term? Um, so, yeah, so there's a, a whole vetting process that goes into that. And then finally we say, okay, yeah, we think that this is a great fit for ourselves, our clients, and we think that we will be able to get that artist some placements. And so then we reach out to the artist with a questionnaire. And in that questionnaire, the question comes up, okay, do you already have an exclusive deal with another publisher? Mm -hmm. Do you have a publishing admin deal, any kind of admin deal that would not allow you to sign this agreement. And 
I, I was as shocked as you were, Michael, when uh, I was talking to uh, our production coordinator and he mentioned, yeah, a lot of people have these deals. And I, I said, well, can you go and check how many? And he came back with a figure of 60%. I'm like, seriously? More than half of the people that are submitting are likely signed to these deals, which then you know, there's nothing wrong with the deal, like you said. Uh, yeah, but if the companies in the deals are fine, it, I'll state yeah, that again. Exactly. CD Baby, um, uh, TuneCore, SongTrust, they're all legitimate in what they're doing, Absolutely. but but the deal and is I, problematic. I, yeah, and I see the the point of it. You, you're just submitting your music to get it distributed. It's a checkbox. If it happens to make any money out there in the entire world, they will collect it for you. I think that's perfect. However, if you're wanting to work with a, a TV film specific company like ours, we're looking to collect the publishing side as well. So that becomes a problem because technically you cannot sign our agreement based on their agreement. So it'd be a conflict to even sign the agreement. Um, so yeah, that's it in a nutshell is that legally, technically you can't sign our agreement or any agreement of companies that are similar, similarly structured as ours with, with our agreements. Yeah. And that's most companies. Um, let's address the issue for, cause people will undoubtedly say in the chat room or maybe in their own minds as they watch this later. Well, it's a, you know, I remember the deal I did with one of those companies or the other. It was a non-exclusive deal. Um, and fair enough, it, it is in some cases non-exclusive, meaning that more than one entity can represent your music. The problem being that most people don't remember if they signed an exclusive or a non-exclusive a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, six years ago, or 10 years ago. They don't know. They just check that little box and went, oh, goody, they're going to collect money from me. So they end up forgetting, even if they were aware that it was non-exclusive, um, they will submit it for every kind of taxi opportunity about at least 70% of which are exclusive libraries now. So they're sending in music that even though it was signed non-exclusively to the distribution company for purposes of monetizing, um, you know, uh, publishing monetization, um, a, a, an exclusive library doesn't, can't sign that, won't sign that because it's signed elsewhere, even though it's non-exclusive. That means that that non-exclusive entity could be out there making money off of something that they want to fully own and control. So some people might make the argument, well, hell, maybe I just shouldn't work with production music libraries. Maybe I should just let, you know, put all hundred of my pieces of music out there in the world, get them all distributed, and then check that little box for all of them. The difference is a music library builds relationships with shows, showrunners, and music supervisors. And they're constantly in touch with them. What are you looking for? Versus CD Baby, Song Trust, whatever. Um, it's a passive model whereby if somebody stumbles on your piece of music, one out of a gazillion things that are out there, it says, ooh, that would be great for my TV show. I wonder if it's licensable. 
yes, they will actually take care of the paperwork and collect the money for you, but they're not actively doing it. So while, again, those companies aren't doing anything immoral, illegal, or untoward, it's just a model that doesn't work very well. Um, the distribution side is fine. Sign the distribution deal, get your music out there. The publishing part is where the conflict lies with um, the music libraries and publishers of the world. So let me go back to what you were saying about the process, Pedro. Uh, could you guesstimate like how many minutes or hours are invested in each song before you get to the point where you go, oh crap, it's already signed somewhere? Oh, that's that's hard to judge, but I would say probably a few hours of, of manpower within the company to go through one particular song. Wow. There may be, they may, there may be several co-writers, so we want to do some vetting of each of the co-writers um and all of the back and forth involved yeah i mean it's it's hard to judge but there's significant time involved in auditioning music for us so if taxi gets two or three hundred submissions for something and we forward 84 of them to a company um, which would be a pretty hefty batch but imagine going through that with 84 pieces of music only to find out uh, let's make it 80 so I can do the math and be really impressive. Uh, so it's 80 pieces of music that we forward. And let's say 60% of them are going to be knocked out of contention after hours of time invested vetting them because those people have signed a deal at some point in, in their past and don't remember it or don't understand the ramifications. So 60% of 80 is uh, 48, if my math skills are still at the fifth grade level, which I think they are. And so there you go. So they've wasted, let's say 48 hours of their time. That's a week or better of man or woman power. See, there is politically correct, kids. Did that just for you. Um, they've wasted all that time. It's not a sustainable business model dealing with that kind of stuff. So what the libraries reflexively do is just reach out to the people that are already signed to them, knowing that they understand the drill. So the opportunities go to the people they have relationships with and they know that they're kosher in their business dealings. So there are libraries that I know that put out a lot of briefs that our members never get to see. And part of the problem is this, it's a lot of work when they get a pile of music from Taxi and the members don't know that they're already signed elsewhere. By the way, I saw people talking about DistroKid. Honestly, I can't include them or disinclude them. I don't know if they have a publishing or publishing admin deal. I know that they do distribution and that's it. Um, and if they do, I mean, it, I'm sure it's fine, just like everybody else. These are, there's nothing wrong with these deals. It's just understanding that what, what you are signing and to make sure that then if you try to sign a different agreement, it's not going to interfere with the original agreement that you signed. Yeah. Is what it boils down to. Midi Man is asking, is self-published an issue? Well, a lot of people don't really understand what self-published means. Um, if you're truly self-published, you would do a, a doing business as a DBA and set up a publishing entity, you know, like Michael's Music. And, and 
you automatically own your publishing at the moment of creation. The minute you record that thing or write the music down on a piece of paper, it is published. Then it's just a matter of registering the copyright with the uh, uh, copyright office. And that's a whole other issue that we can talk about maybe later in this episode. But um, a lot of people think they're self-published when they put the music out for distribution with CD Baby or TuneCore or somebody, and they check that box. It's like, I'm taking care of it myself. I didn't have to sign with a publisher. Yes, you just did sign with a publisher. Uh, so there's the answer to that. Uh, anything you want to add? Back to your your uh, conversation earlier about non even non-exclusive situations. Yeah. So the the thing to understand is when it comes to collecting uh, publishing admin and the way that uh, a publisher like us or the ones that we're talking about they they will collect worldwide and the systems to collect music worldwide are not simple you're dealing with different pros with their own different systems and not even uh, thinking about the fact that the majority of pros around the world don't even understand the non-exclusive concept so if one publisher claims a particular piece of music even if that music is being signed non-exclusively they will assume that whoever registered it first is the publisher and so we could come along and have that piece of music placed in multiple tv shows films it doesn't matter those publishing royalties would go to that original company yeah uh so it's it's just way too messy to deal with especially on a one song one song basis so when it comes to um a company that's just looking after it uh, these admin rights and collecting uh admin uh, publishing admin or or whatever they're doing it in bulk so they have relationships with all the pros they send uh the information out probably via cwr and we don't want to get technical here <laughs> but hmm. uh, they're able to uh, get the information out in bulk and then begin uh, collecting those royalties on everybody's behalf so for us to then go to every pro in the world and say okay we we are dealing with this one song and our version of it when we place it we want to collect on that would be a decades-long process and I, we would I, probably not get paid by <laughs> you know 90 percent of them so it's just it's it's just not a a feasible thing to even contemplate you know it's not life and death like leaving a screw out of a space shuttle nobody's gonna die but a career could be killed because it's pretty serious it's not like you're going to jail but um I know libraries, I can think of one library owner uh, that you and I both know, he's so disgusted by this that if anybody's music hits his desk coming through taxi or any any other way that has this problem, he will never ever listen to another note of music from that person because they've just sent up a red flag that says, I don't understand anything about the industry that I want to be a professional in. 
Like if you want to sell hot dogs, uh, you know, in a push cart on the sidewalk in the summertime, you still have to have a license to be a vendor. You still have to go through certain, I don't know what department, uh, Department of Health checks to make sure that your stuff is clean and that you're serving it in a timely fashion and it's refrigerated on the way. There are just rules of the game when you're conducting business. And that's yeah. much different than being in high school going, I'm sorry, teacher, my aunt had a heart attack and my parents had to rush out of town, hope the aunt is better, um, and therefore I couldn't finish my term paper last night. Can I get an extension? Oh, sure, Johnny, I hope your aunt gets better. Real life in the business world is not like that. You generally don't get a second chance. They are not in the business to help you navigate your way through life or through business. They expect that if you want to play on their ball field and be a professional, then you need to act like one. By the way, I saw somebody uh, asked earlier, said, I'm signed to BMI. They're my publisher. No, BMI is not a publisher. Neither is ASCAP, neither is CSAC, neither is SISEM, neither is GEMA. Um, who do you guys have in Canada? So can. Yeah, none of those entities are publishers. They are performance royalty organizations or societies. Their job solely is to collect the money that you make when your music is performed publicly on a radio station, could be on a stage in Broadway, could most likely be on a TV show. They collect that money, the back end, which is where most people getting their music in production music libraries will earn most of their income on the back end anyway. So just understand, you're not signed to a publisher if you're signed with a PRO like BMI. Um, anyway. They'll uh, collect your royalties for you. Right, that specific kind of royalty. And I know it's confusing yeah. now. I mean, Pedro and I were lamenting this yesterday. We were on the phone for quite a bit. We're relatively, you know, well-informed, intelligent people. At least I like to think so. Um, <laughs> It's difficult even for us to understand because the music industry and the online thing is truly changing every year. It's like the Wild West. So it's hard to keep track of, well, this entity collects your music if your music is played on a playlist that the company generates. Now, if your music is requested by a listener on Spotify, then somebody else collects a, a royalty that's kind of like a performance royalty and kind of like a mechanical royalty, so we call that a per-canical under this roof. Um, it's so complicated. Honestly, I, I've had music attorneys and publishers who I think are the smartest people on this subject that I've ever met explain this for previous road rallies and I still walk out of the room when the session's over going, I don't understand it. And I feel and like- the rules such, vary from country to country as well. Yeah. So it's very tough to keep track of it all. Absolutely. I, I feel like a dumbass, frankly, because it, it's so hard to understand it. It's so complex. I wish there was just one place that everybody could sign up for. And no matter what the circumstance, they're going to collect your money and take 15% for doing that dirty work. But that'll never exist because of competition. And yeah. Um, all right. Let me see if I've... I already talked about the marriage thing, right? That it would be like... Uh, did I talk about that with, or was it just you before the show? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure you mentioned that here. All right. So uh, just in case I didn't mention, maybe I mentioned it early on the show and I've forgotten already. The relationship that you have 
when you check that little box on CD Baby, TuneCore, SongTrust, wherever, and once again, they are all legitimate good companies. They're not doing anything wrong. It's just that there's a conflict between checking that box and submitting your music to any production music libraries, any publishers. Um, so it's, it's like marriage. My wife and I have a marriage contract that we are going to be exclusive to each other. Um, so I know some people have open marriages and they're not, but that's a, let's keep that to the side for right now. Um, so we've got an exclusive relationship. We're not dating other people. Um, here, I actually wrote this down so I can do it intelligently. Um, all right. We have a marriage contract. Unless stated otherwise, we are monogamous, committed exclusively to each other. Even if we had a non-exclusive marriage where we were allowed to date other people, pretty racy for the Lasco family, but just hypothetically if we did that, uh, and within the construct of that marriage, we dated other people. Neither of us could marry another person because we are already married. So when you check that box, no matter what form it comes in, exclusive, even if it's non-exclusive, you're still in a marriage of sorts. And that makes it virtually impossible for any other publishing entity to want to do business with you. So you have a choice to make. Do you want to check that box and hope that, you know, once every five years somebody stumbles on a piece of your music and licenses it for a YouTube video and you make 13 cents? Um, not to say that you couldn't have something bigger happen, but the odds are not great. They're really pretty small. Or would you rather have somebody like Pedro or a hundred of his, um, you know, colleagues in the industry who are actually in the business of building lasting relationships with the showrunners and music supervisors that work on TV shows and films and reach out to them to say, what can you find us? And if they don't have it in their catalog and or they need more of it, they reach out to Taxi. We find it for them and it really puts a damper on things when we send it to them and they go through this whole vetting process which sounds like it can take an hour per song or hours maybe in some cases and then they find out oh they checked the box six years ago and they just forgot about it oh i'm sorry teacher can i hand in my homework late no johnny we're kicking you out of school and you'll never be allowed to go to school anywhere again as long as you live so <laughs> checking boxes can have consequences oh i got a smile out of pedro on that one <laughs> he's very stoic today <laughs> well, even worse is situations where maybe they don't answer the questionnaire very truthfully Oof. and then after the fact we find out that we're missing a writer or we're missing a producer that has five percent on something and then we're going okay what do you want me to do with that so be upfront is another another part of it is like don't try to don't try to hide things from somebody that you're trying to enter into a relationship with. I guess that goes back to your marriage thing, Michael. You don't want to lie to your spouse. <laughs> so if, if you stay honest in the business relationships that you're in, then that's, that's uh, I think you're pretty much all the way there. It's about honesty in, in this business as much as you hear people talking about things being dishonest, and there is some of that. But I think all of the people that are legitimately in the business doing it day in, day out are honest 
people that try to do their best every day. Uh, and we all appreciate honesty from each other so that we can arrive at the you know best possible outcome in every situation. I think there are cases where that happens where people make a mistake or they forget um, or maybe they're not being completely dishonest. It's like, but it's not like you can be a little bit pregnant. You either are or you're not. I think that sometimes people may, especially like with vintage music or stuff that's from a decade ago, um, and there were six people in the band, and maybe one of the people in the band unfortunately passed away. But you need all the members that are on that master recording and all the writers who were co-writers on that song to give you written permission saying you have the right to represent this for the purpose of pitching it, let's say for film and TV music or placements. Yeah. So you come up against the fact that the bass player was tragically killed in a car accident 17 years ago and you have no idea if he has a surviving spouse or children or heirs or relatives. Where would you even begin to look? And you just go, you know what, it's not that important. I'm just going to say, yeah, this is everybody on that thing that I fill out for Pedro or any other publisher. And then, lo and behold, the spouse of the recently departed bass player happens to go to a big movie or see a TV show and goes, oh my gosh, that's the song that my husband co-wrote and played bass on in 1979. I can't believe it's in that movie. Awesome. I wonder if I'm going to get any money out of that. And then the spouse picks up the phone and calls the person that was the leader of the band and says, oh, by the way, guess what? I saw that song or heard that song in a movie or a TV show. When am I getting a check? And how much? I should get like 50000 or or 100000 right? Because it's famous now. Everybody out there saw it. <laughs> Pedro's smiling again. <laughs> um, and they don't realize, first of all, that the checks can be rather minuscule, that it's a game of... Um, a lot of things adding up cumulatively is where the income comes from. It's rare that you get the big score. So first of all, they're disappointed and they feel like they're being cheated. Uh, it's like, well, I didn't know how to find you. So your unfortunate husband's name is not on the paperwork, but we'll add you. So now you've got to reach out to the publisher and say, oops. So now you've got a black star on your report card and that publisher is gonna be very hesitant to wanna to do any business with you in the future because you've made a fairly grievous error that could end up in a lawsuit for you, the musician who worked with the bass player, for the publisher, for Warner Brothers Television. Anybody involved in that chain is probably gonna be named in that lawsuit because you went, the guy died and I just don't know how to find his heirs. Either give it your best shot, which would be putting an ad out in the local paper, the last known place that person lived, and say, you know, John Doe, um, looking for John Doe's heirs over a, a song publishing agreement, please contact me within the next 30 days. Some publishers will say, you know, that's good enough. The person died in 1943. Uh, I, I do know some publishers that will accept that, but only in rare circumstances. They've got to be very convinced that best efforts were made because they would have to display those best efforts in a court of law to convince a judge or a jury that best efforts were made in order to win the case. They also know they're going to spend a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars defending themselves just to be able to say, oh, your honor, we made best efforts. So you don't ever want to get sued. 
Uh, it's not like television. Another thing to consider is that a lot of companies like ours are providing music to our clients. That, that is, we're guaranteeing it as being 100% in the clear already. So as opposed to if a music supervisor wanted to sync a famous song, they have clearance teams. There's various clearance companies that go out and try to find everybody who's involved in that copyright. Right. Um, I saw a recent tweet from Diane Warren where she was talking about a song with 26 writers. Right. Well, <laughs> I saw that. They're having to chase all 26 and their publishing entities and whoever owns the master, which could be multiple entities as well. So there's companies that dedicate resources just to doing that. In our case, we are representing mostly indie artists that are coming out of taxi, for example, um, not not well-known artists per se. And so in our case, we want to guarantee that if they're coming to us, it's 100% clear they don't have to be putting in the effort with the clearance, which makes it possible for them because they're now saving a lot of money, not only on the clearance, but also on the on the sync fee that's coming to us. And if our, our quality of music is very good, they can turn around and say, hey, we still have this much budget. We're going to allocate it to uh, Pedro's company because you know they were in the clear and the quality is top notch. So it, it, yeah, it's, it's the kind of thing that you can't really cover in, you know, 20 episodes of Taxi TV, but you know, try to understand and learn the business and uh, as much as you can. Um, but whatever you do, understand that it's a business and it's a complex one. There's a lot of players involved and it's also not a perfect business when it comes down to paying the for performance royalties, mechanicals, and all that. There's different companies. There's the PROs that are involved around the world. Everybody is trying to do the best they can, but it's not a perfect system. Uh, and the more complication you add, the more complicated it'll be for anybody to collect your royalties, to, to be honest. So um, just keep things simple. I always go back to how I would do it as a, a musician myself. And and I, I usually impart this knowledge, well, I guess not knowledge, but advice to other people. And it's the idea that when you've created a piece of music, at that moment decide what is this piece of music going to be for? Am I going to put it into the sync world? And if I am, then I would decide, is it going to live non-exclusively for its entire lifetime, or will it live exclusively? And don't be switching publishers. And I see that all the time, and it ends up just being a, a big logistics nightmare um, that ultimately, at the end, I'm not sure it really pays off for the, for the artist. I think stick with, stick with one process, one plan, you don't need to be wasting so much time on the admin. Trust your publishers to take care of the admin for you, whether it's an exclusive one or a non-exclusive one. But most importantly in all this conversation is understand the contract that you signed, whether exclusive or non-exclusive. What rights does it give you? What rights does it give the, the entity that you've signed with? 
and um, if you're going to be tracking that to then go and sign with another entity, do any of the points from contract A conflict with contract B? And that in itself is a lot of work and you would probably need a lawyer involved to you know, look over every contract. And I think that would get very expensive very quickly. So I, yeah. I always say, keep, try to keep things as simple as possible. Especially in our world, if you were a, if you're a big name artist, obviously you have the money, you have the the teams behind you that they'll take care of all that paperwork and the lawyering. <laughs> but for a, a an indie artist that is trying to do it all on their own, yeah, um, just understanding the minimal things of each contract is usually sufficient. But don't don't try to do too much. And know that if you get a music attorney, you need a music attorney specifically that has specific knowledge of the production music library licensing world. Because I've, I've met attorneys that say, oh yeah, I've done film licensing. Well, yeah, you licensed, you, you did the clearance and paperwork on a Michael Jackson song in a Tom Cruise movie. That's a lot different than putting a, an instrumental cue from Pedro's library in an episode of a reality show. They're, they're like dogs and cats. They both have four legs and a tail, and that's about it. Uh, so, And we've had, we've had that in the past as well. Um, not so much recently, and I think a lot of it has to do with the great work that you do, Michael, and Taxi does in, in educating the taxi members. But we've had cases in the past where, you know, we'll send out an agreement and then get a uh, response back, oh, we ran it through our attorney, and, like, you're ripping us off, you're taking all of the publishing, you're doing this, and... <laughs> like uh, no, that's actually not what the agreement reads, and so it boils down to the lawyer not understanding our particular side of the industry. Right, because it is different even from the regular publishing side of the industry as it relates to. Yeah. I wrote a song, and I'm going to try and get it to Olivia Rodrigo. Um, in that case, you'd probably sign up co-publishing deal where Warner Chapel Music would get 50% of the publisher's share. You would retain 50% of the publisher's share and you would keep 100% of the writer's share. In the library industry, it's very, very typical for the publisher to get 100% of the publisher's share because frankly, they in many ways do a lot more work than regular publishers do. And very often the placements will generate, you know, a couple of dollars here, a couple of dollars there. It's not like a Olivia Rodrigo hit that might generate half a million to a million dollars on the publishing side, just on radio play. And a the label would get the master share. Right. So, so in, in the film and TV, TV world, typically the, the deal is a 50-50 a split on everything. So the only variation where people go, oh, that's 100% is the publishing because the writer is collecting 50% of the performance royalties. So that's where we do the split, but still overall in every aspect of that placement, it's a 50-50 split. And so we go after every, every possible income generating uh, possibility that we can, I guess, and split that 50% with our writers. 
so it's it's again different model and so when you're you're showing that to an attorney who's or a lawyer that's used to seeing one of the other publishing deals they're going to go well there's something off about this yeah but it's just a different they just I, don't know it's a different industry really it's like asking somebody who flies an f-15 um, what they know about a Cessna. They know about an airfoil. They know about flaps and ailerons and stuff like that, but they don't know the particulars of that particular aircraft. So same industry. Yeah. They don't know all the, the stuff. Um, let's talk about the, um, the royalty-free side. I've heard an argument from people in the past um, there are royalty-free libraries that um, there are a couple different types and frankly I'm not expert enough on exactly how to explain what the difference is between the two types but the one thing I do know is that they are a subscription model generally and, and there's some of them that are they're good companies like Epidemic Sound has a, a good reputation many of them that are not they're kind of like we'll take any music and put it on you know online in our catalog because who knows someday somebody may stumble on there and, and like it so they end up with catalogs that are largely not really great and people go there to license music and they can't find much that's good they get frustrated and walk away so, but let's say that you're dealing, you've decided to put your music in a royalty-free subscription-based model, meaning that, let's say, for Taxi TV, I want to license a bunch of music for YouTube, specifically. So I'd go to a place like Epidemic, which, again, is one of the few that's actually got a pretty good reputation. Um, and I put my music in the Epidemic Sound catalog, then along, or no, let's say Pedro's the, the creator. He puts his music in their catalog, gets no money up front. I don't even know what kind of deal it is that he signs. I'm assuming non-exclusive, but yeah, I got my music in a music library. Well, there's, you know, there's Cadillac and there's Ford. I'm probably gonna get sued for that. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so, a guy like me who's got a massively popular YouTube show and I want to license music, I could subscribe to Epidemic Sound for, I don't know, $30 a month or something, and I get all I can eat from their catalog and I don't have to pay any royalties on it. Which, funny enough, is I wouldn't pay the royalties anyway. Independent filmmakers don't understand. They all use royalty-free catalogs because they think they don't have to pay royalties. Royalties are only paid per via performances like you're on the radio, like you're on television, like you're on YouTube, and that's a different kind of performance royalty. The broadcasters take care of that. Yeah, so the broadcaster pays, let's say, you know, CBS television pays a million dollars a year. I'm just making up the numbers here, but probably in the ballpark. Uh, CBS TV pays a million dollars a year to BMI and a million dollars a year to ASCAP. And then they do these electronic surveys and it's all filled with hocus pocus to figure out how many people in St. Louis watched that show. And then they take that number and go, okay, well, that's 44,000 people in St. Louis. That means New York, which is four times larger. That means it was 1.8 million or whatever the math works out to be. So they do these calculations and by audience size slash viewership, that's how they calculate what you, the creator of that music should get paid. And that's what you get your BMI or ASCAP check from. So the royalties are collected by them from the networks, then distributed out to the creators. So 
in the case of a royalty-free library, you could still be in a royalty-free library, but if you license, if a show on CBS, correct me if I'm wrong, show on CBS decides to license a song not for YouTube use on the um, all-you-can-eat uh, subscription model, but they license a song for $2,500 to go in a show on primetime on CBS, at that point, ASCAP or BMI is going to, if you're American, is going to take care of the, uh, the performance royalty. You're still going to get paid even though you were in that non-exclusive or royalty-free catalog. Am I right about that? I've had people tell me that, but there are circumstances. <laughs> yes, um, because they're going to submit cue sheets for that performance. So if the cue sheet has the writer information and the publisher information, that money is going to go to those entities. Um, my understanding, though, is with some royalty-free companies, they don't allow you to have a PRO. Right, you can't put you. I could be wrong. And so if, if you don't have a PRO, then you're okay. Even though the performance existed, the payment can't go to anybody. Right. <laughs> it's royalty free. And yeah, I, honestly, I believe Epidemic Sound is one of the companies that won't let you put your music in. Could you imagine being Epidemic Sound? Because people can go online and, and upload music to them. Um, and they read, uh, you know, they probably don't read the terms and conditions, which probably state very clearly please don't upload any music to our site because we can't accept it if you've already entered into a, a performance, a PRO agreement on this piece of music. Um, and people go, eh, yeah, whatever, click yes, that's fine. I didn't read the stuff. So now they've got music in that catalog that is signed to a PRO, even though the company made it very clear they won't accept music that's signed to a PRO. So that that's almost like committing this grievous error where you don't realize you've signed a publishing deal with one of the distributors for a pro-level membership and then submit it to a library and want to sign with them too. And who would know? Nobody right. until the day you get hit with that lawsuit. Yeah, so it boils down to that is, uh, and that's why you hear the expression all the time, it's the wild west out there. Hmm. And it's true. Um, but, you know, it, it boils down to, do you want to do things the, the right way or do you want to be part of the Wild West? Um, and so that's where we, we try the best that we can with our vetting and our questionnaire. And of course, the fact that I'm even putting uh, myself out here on this video and it's going to be on YouTube could be that uh, we'll end up that, um, people answering our questionnaire will just say no, they haven't checked that box, right? So the percentage all of a sudden will go down to 10%, <laughs> even though half of the people are, you know, most of the people are lying. Yeah, well, you know, they would be silly to lie about that because eventually that will come back to bite them on the butt. And what I think, unless you've ever been through what I call a big boy lawsuit, you cannot imagine the psychological um, pain and depression and financials that go along with it. People think that going to court is like traffic court or like going to court like you see in television, where the judge looks at the paperwork, goes, hmm, 
Hmm. Oh, this case is BS. I'm throwing it out. <laughs> no. Uh, I was involved in a five-year-long lawsuit that cost me literally a house's worth of income to pay the lawyers until the day the judge said, I'm throwing this out because you have to go through due process. There's always due process, at least in the United States, and I'm assuming in Canada and any other civilized country, that um, they don't just look at the paperwork and go, oh, this is BS, I'm throwing it out. There's a process where they have to look at all the evidence. They have to decide which evidence is gonna be allowed or not, which witnesses would be allowed or not. Um, you have to cough up. I remember one day during that lawsuit, it was like two days before the road rally, I literally filled the back of a U-Haul van with those banker boxes with documents um, and had to drive that over to the lawyer's office. It's you don't ever want to think, oh, well, it's just, you know, worst could happen is I get slapped with a lawsuit and I tell them, oops, I made a mistake. And they're going to go, oh, okay, it's fine now. Uh-uh, doesn't work that way, especially when there's money to be had. And even if there is no lawsuit, eventually we'll stumble on it because we'll be, we'll be chasing specific royalties from different territories and all of a sudden a red flag will pop up. Oh, that track is actually registered with Entity A. And so then you end up having to put in a dispute with, you know, multiple PROs. And, and that could take years to resolve and potentially not resolve because, well, Entity A has an agreement signed. So, well, who, who does the placement belong to? You know, so it just it's just unnecessary complication. I think and so. That's why we have that question, and if the answer is yes, we just don't even bother. It's not worth the effort. Yeah, uh, I, I think everybody watching this today during the live show, anybody that watches it on YouTube in the future, should just say to him or herself that any new music I create, I'm gonna be very careful not to check that box to have publishing or publishing admin representation unless you want it and decide this is not going into the music library industry. You kind of have to pick and choose. Pedro said it, you have to decide at the moment of creation what is the purpose of this piece of music. So anything yeah, you new- you cannot pitch it on your own. You've decided, I'm not working with any film TV publishers. I'm going to distribute it. I'm going to hit the pavement myself, put it out there on social. I'm going to do all the work myself and build those relationships directly with music supervisors. They're going to license it from me one stop and nobody else involved. Absolutely, go for it. That would yeah. be amazing um but yeah if you want the help of companies like ours to do the legwork on the publishing side then we need to have access to the publishing we can't work with it if it's already exclusively signed elsewhere obviously so we've got a half an hour left let's take questions and if you guys would be so kind in the chat room to type uh question in all caps question for pedro or question for michael or question for both that'll make things go a little more smoothly 
Here's a question from Pierre Venio. What about the reverse situation? You want to distribute a song or make a YouTube video um, with something that's already signed by a library. So yeah, that's an easy one. You okay. just contact the library and say, I'm not sure what the agreement um, covers, so am I able to do this? And the library will let you know. Yeah, worst case scenario yeah, is... Uh, even even if I, I know some exclusive uh, companies that will allow you to distribute the song on your own and collect, you know, whatever you make on Spotify and, and then distribution, and they just focus uh, exclusively on the sync side. So just talk to talk to your partner, essentially, mm -hmm. because you've entered into a partnership with that company, you just talk to them and say, hey, I have this opportunity, I want to do this. Does the agreement currently allow me to do that? And uh, yeah, you'll get a quick answer on whether you can do it or not. Questions are flying in at an unprecedented rate. <laughs> um, let me go back to where they started. Uh, okay, this one's from read the man who brought me that incredible chocolate the other day what if you didn't mean to sign your rights away a long time ago or you're not sure if you did so how can you best check to find out if you are in such a binding agreement uh, i would think the only way to do that is to reach out to be it cd baby TuneCore, song trust whomever uh and and, and you have to retrace your steps and figure out who the yeah. sign deals with and for what music could be all your music for that matter you don't know oh case. yeah you know people that made an album in the 80s and nothing happened and they pressed up 25,000 copies of it and they've got 23,000 still sitting in the garage and they go what the hell I might as well distribute this through CD baby whomever and I get that um, it's not doing anything they might as well distribute it and they don't realize that they checked that box at the time and then they end up sending that album you know 10 years later to Pedro or any other library to be considered and don't even realize there's a problem all right um, this question is from Craig Taylor for Pedro I know this is about publishing today but do you bother when you find out a song is registered with content oh this is a good one with content id when vetting can you pedro can you explain what content id is and then we'll take care of the question in full yeah so there's there's different types of content id um so as more and more uh social networks go online with music they are implementing content id so Facebook, for example, has their own content ID system. Um, YouTube is the most well-known one. Um, so back to the question. So would I bother to find out if a song is registered with content ID? So in our case, if we're signing a song non-exclusively, I, I would not be collecting the content ID on it, whether we licensed it to a YouTube video or not um, because it would it's non-exclusive so I would leave the the rights of the recording itself alone so that's a case where the artist could have their own content content ID account set up with that song they would collect it on their own in the case of 
an exclusive song. We only uh, sign songs that have been written exclusively for us. So that means they've never existed in the world prior to existing with us. And so from birth of the song, we control all the rights, including content ID, so that we can monetize all of that copyright throughout its lifetime. So we don't worry about it for the exclusive side, and we don't worry about it for the non-exclusive side. I would uh, recommend that unless there's a particular non-exclusive publisher that you're working with that doesn't allow you to use Content ID, I would encourage you to have your music in your own con Content ID account. And there's several companies out there that you can set it up with, and they will collect uh, for you. Okay, this one's... Um question for me and I'm not sure I understand it could you tweak the song and then change the name just a question no uh, you could in theory tweak a song let's say you had a song that was Mary had a little lamb and you decided to do a different version of um, I have a little lamb who loves me um, but it's basically the largely the same significantly I think is the operative word the same melody and significantly the same words even if the melody is 90 percent and the words are utterly different you're probably going to run into trouble you know what just write another song leave that one alone elliot here's a question from paul croto call it a different master but the song itself is the same right yeah it could be a variation i know of uh some some taxi members that will do that and i'm thinking of one in particular and he's amazing at it he will write a song and then we'll create various versions of that song in different genres mm -hmm. and so now he's got multiple masters that are syncable of the same copyright so the publishing would be the same but the master they are separate masters um randy bachman i he, he and i have known each other for a long time and he once sent me um you guys know who he is right bachman turner overdrive or as they say in canada bachman um bachman turner overdrive and the guess who he's written so is many that like the, uh, a boot thing yeah or exactly bachman. <laughs> <laughs> he even calls himself bachman at this point i think he's just given up it's the same with me for lascow and lasco it's actually lasco but everybody calls me lascow you just get used to it anyway so Randy called me up one day and said, hey, I know you guys do a lot of film and TV stuff. He was a taxi member for many years. And um, he said, uh, I've just gone back and re-recorded all of my hits. And I've got the album sitting like 12 feet away from me. It's almost impossible in the case of some of those songs to tell if it was the original version from a Guess Who album or, or BTO album or if it's the redone version. But... Um, he, he did that specifically for pitching for film and TV because rather than giving the record company the income from the master recording, this way he can get the income from the master recording because he owns this master recording. Um, it's amazing, by the way. Randy's got the biggest fingers of any human being I've ever met. Seriously, I am not joking when I tell you... Here, how do I, how do, I do this? His fingers are like that big around. They're, they're like bigger than a hot dog. And he has such a delicate touch on the neck of his guitar that it's mind-blowing to me. He had to work a lot harder at that than the rest of us. Um, amazing guitarist. 
and an avid songwriter. The guy never, ever stops writing. Um, okay, here's one from Anna Coat. Ah, oh, man, I've got so many of them, they just keep jumping up. Where did it go? If I pull out of a tune, if I pull out of TuneCore, can I distribute still? Yes, this has nothing to do with distribution. Distribution, like I said, CD Baby, TuneCore, all of them are perfectly fine companies that do reputable business. It's just part of their business conflicts with the film and TV side, <clears throat> the library side of film and TV, the publishing side. So yes, you can absolutely use them to distribute. You just want to pull out of the publishing or publishing admin side if that's the, the way you decide to go. Um, also, I am on a radio station called Django and I'm gaining fans. Is that a problem? Um, well, gaining fans is not a problem. Um, being on the radio station, believe it or not, that means TuneCore, if you've signed that deal with them and they're publishing um, royalties to be played, uh, or performance royalties to be paid, um, on the publisher side of that, TuneCore is going to get that income. Correct, Pedro? I'm not wrong about that, am I? Uh, I really don't know what they cover, but seems right that they would, if they if they are uh, collecting all of your publishing, um, then they would collect it on your behalf and then pay you whatever the percentage is, which would be fine. Yep, and having fans, no contract is a problem with that. Maybe a management company. <laughs> All right, here's one from Larry Receive, or Rusave. Sorry, I'm butchering your name. Let's say I create, record, and produce a new piece of music, register to my PRO account, and put it on SoundCloud. I do nothing to sign away my publishing to that piece of music. Um, that wasn't really stated as a question, Larry, but yeah, you're fine. Putting it on, so, you know, having you create it, record it, produce it, register it to your PRO account, put it on SoundCloud, that's fine. There's no conflict there. You haven't checked a box saying you want somebody to publish or admin your music. Um, no, I do. Self-publishing in that case. Yeah. Um, I do have a question for Pedro about that. Um, and now I forgot my question. Oh, I always get asked the question, should I register my every song or track that I write with my PRO before I present the music to a library? The answer that I've gotten from a multitude of taxi members who are very successful and been doing it a long time now over the years, they tell me I don't bother registering the stuff. Um, they certainly don't register the copyright. Uh, before they send it out to libraries. They would if it were a song they were going to pitch to a big artist on a major label, but not for a 90-second piece of instrumental music. Um, is it problematic if people register stuff with their PRO before it gets in your hands because you would then register it um, to the PROs as well? So does it cause you more work to have to amend or change a registration that was previously enforced? Yeah, it goes back to what I said earlier. So if you decide from the infancy of the song where it will live, that will inform that decision. If the song or instrumental is going to live exclusively in the world, don't register it. 
because whoever you sign it exclusively with will register it with the original title as the publisher. If you know for sure I'm going to just pitch this non-exclusively, well, that in, in that case, I see no issue with you registering the original title with your PRO. And then when you go and pitch it to different non-exclusive companies, they're going to, some of them probably retitle. Uh, in our case and, and with, with a lot of other companies, we may add a prefix or a suffix to the title that gives the differentiation so that we become the publisher of that particular version of the song if it gets placed on film and TV. Um, so yeah, make that decision early on. If it's going to live exclusively in the world and you're going to pitch it to be an exclusive track, don't register it. Let your publisher who's going to own that song um, and well, here we go again. You could be a signing something exclusively in perpetuity versus something that's not in perpetuity. So then uh, things could vary there. But in our case, we would be signing it in perpetuity. We would want to own that copyright from infancy, including that registration with uh, us as the publisher. Sometimes people say to me, why do companies insist, and not all do, but why do companies that ask for perp in perp to sign things in perpetuity why do they want it forever? Um, they they perceive I'll tell you it. Why. Yeah, well, they think that it's because you guys are greedy and just like I've got it and I'm gonna hold on to it forever. Tell them the real reason. Well, first off, well, there's many reasons. One of them is to to actually generate income on a piece of music. It takes time. So some exclusive deals that have a reversion clause, maybe like a one year, three year, five year. Um, I've heard of a good friend of both of ours, Michael, who had a song that ended up on a Spider-Man, big Spider-Man movie after it had been sitting in the catalog for eight years. Wow. So you, you just don't know when it'll start generating income. So that's one, one part. The other part is when we ingest a song into our system, it's not just one system that we're ingesting the song into. We have half a dozen, 10, I, I don't even remember off the top of my head. We have several different systems that that music is ingested into. Then you have the registration across essentially around the world uh, through our sub-publishers etc etc and a lot of our sub-publishing deals run multiple years as well so if if say we had a, a three-year reversion and you have one production music track sitting in one album and the artists or composer says we're pulling that song then that would mean the entire album would have to come off of every system out there and so well, first of all, it would be annoying to all of our clients, our sub-publishers around the world, distributors, and then chasing all of the PROs to undo that registration. The list goes on and on to... Or, or, or post-production companies that have the music in editors' bins sitting there, then you right. have to have them pull it out, literally pull it out of their bins, yeah. Yeah. 
so yeah, the list goes on to how complicated it is. And so that's why I always go back to, is it exclusive or is it non-exclusive? Because if it's exclusive, but only for a few years, then to me, it's not exclusive. That's a non-exclusive track to me because you've signed it exclusively, but now you're going to bring it somewhere else exclusively. So it wasn't exclusive in the first place. So, I, you know, I understand the musician side of this. It's like, yeah, if I sign a deal with somebody and it's exclusive, if they haven't gotten it placed in three years, five years, at some point I feel like, hey, it ain't working for your clients. Can I get it back? And I think that emotionally and spiritually, I hate to sound so California-like, but I, I don't. I, I know you really well. You're about as nice a person as can be. It's not like you're going, no, I'm holding on to that song because it's doing you no good if it's not making any money either. Undoing the relationship is literally like getting a divorce on a magnitude that's unimaginable just you know we got to pull it out of this we got to get it out call that post-production company or send them an email saying can you remove it from your bins the chances of that actually happening are practically nil because they've or got a music supervisor choosing yeah. a music oh. supervisor can you take a song out of your computer oh my god out of your disco account seriously like for us to even talk to a music supervisor and getting a response from them is like, you know, the the sky has opened up. <laughs> <laughs> like to get a response, they are so busy that just to get something back for them is huge. And now to bother them with admin stuff, forget about it. And, just, and that's going to make them less likely to ever reach out to you for anything forever because you just cost them time and effort, which they don't hate you personally for, but they will remember, eh, problematic. I'll just try that yeah. other company. Yeah, I reached out and, and they were one stop and we already had it in the show. And then they tell me that, oh yeah, we don't have that song anymore. Now it's with that publisher. That publisher is not one stop or we don't know. What a train wreck. Right, so then now they remember, oh yeah, it was when I reached out to Pedro that gave me that headache for that show that season. Yeah. So this year I'm not gonna send a brief to Pedro because I don't want a headache anymore. Yep. So, yeah. It's funny, I, you know, I've been on a crusade literally for at least the last 20 years. I've owned Taxi for almost 31 now, but for the last 20 years, we've gone very heavy on the education side with the road rally for 26 years the newsletter for gosh knows how long, um, Taxi TV, it's all about educating people because we bring the uneducated, inexperienced, talented musicians who are considered amateurs because they haven't earned a penny yet as a professional. So by definition, they're amateurs. They may be professional musicians as far as their chops, but not on the business side. We bring them to the intersection of their talent and what the industry needs but the industry needs musicians to be fully aware of the business how the business is conducted what the rules of the game are otherwise they won't come back to you they'll just go to other people who do know the rules and know how to play the game and if you think that you're so talented and so special that they're going to give you a pass they won't they don't care you you could be the unknown unsigned Beatles and your greatness 
won't matter to them if they can't work with you in an easy, fluid-like way. I know it's a fantasy. Everybody thinks, I'm so talented, they'll just give me a pass. They won't. It's sad, but it's true. Uh, okay, let's do another question. Um, Ken Mesford asks, I had a song published by a label that went out of business. What happens to the publishing in that case? Well, do you mean it was pressed up and distributed by the label, made for sale by the label, or did the record label actually own your publishing, Ken? Because that's the difference. And back in the day, like a, a record company like Atlantic or Columbia or whomever generally wouldn't own your publishing as well. It would be somebody like Warner Chapel or Sony might own the publishing and the label would own the master. So I would need you to restate that please more clearly and then I will be happy to take a crack at it even though I'm not a music attorney. And I don't even play one on TV. Mm -hmm. uh, that's right, uh, Taylor Swift is re-recording her hits. Um, My mom said I was talented. I'm sure she did. Here's a question from Richard Carr. What if I have 3,800 tracks on SoundCloud and 20 plus albums that have as one stop, all mine and self-published, would you suggest that I don't submit any of these tracks? No, having it on SoundCloud <clears throat> is fine. It's only if you've checked the box on a distributor platform um, which, like I said, many times they are doing something totally legitimate. They're fine companies. It's just checking that box. You have signed a publishing deal or a publishing admin deal with them. I do not believe that SoundCloud has such an offering. Therefore, it doesn't matter if your stuff is on SoundCloud. It's fine. There are some music libraries that once you sign with them may ask you to take it off of public platforms just because it gives them more control over what happens. I know other catalogs are like, hell man, leave it out there. Maybe somebody will discover you, you know, that one in a million accident and I'll make money from it because it was sitting there. So two schools of thought in that one. Um, Ken Messer says, I don't know all the details. It was in the late 80s. Well, sorry, Ken, wish I could help you on that, buddy. Uh, where's Erin Jacobs when you need her? Well, she's been on Taxi TV about three times a year for the last many years. I'm sure she'll... That's right, you and I and Erin and Bob did a panel at the 2019 Road Rally on, on music library contracts. I remember that. Anyway, Erin will, I'm sure, be back at the Road Rally this year. Um, yeah, I feel like every time we do one of these things, it's it's to talk about bad things. <laughs> it's true. Well, we're trying to, to look out for. I guess not bad, but please look out for these things, people. We're trying to help people make money. They just have to learn to yeah. play by the rules of the industry. Um, advice from Paul Croto. Croto. I, I can't say your name, Paulie. I'm sorry. Only yeah. submit tracks to taxi listings if they fit the listing. Do not try to force fit an existing song into a listing unless it truly fits. Read the list, listing, then read it again. Okay, not much to do with today's topic, but great advice, and I completely concur with you, Polly. Uh, Spotify streams published music, so it ties back to whether or not the library will accept published music. Uh, that's not really a question. Distributing the music. What? Uh, Spotify is distri distributing it for for streaming. Um, I'm not sure what Paul is 
Asking, yeah, I don't get it. Oh, well, um, okay. Is it a problem? This is a good question from Gloria Covington. Hey, Gloria. Uh, is it a problem to have your music on your website? Pedro? Uh, is it, Gloria? I'm not sure. It, it depends on any agreements that you have on that music, right? So if you had signed it exclusively with the publisher and then you you put it on your website and they uh, don't want it published in any other way, it could be an issue for them. Um, if you don't have any, any agreements that stop you from having it on your website, I think that it's, I, I think that it's a good thing for you to have music on your website because if I was, if I had received the taxi forward and went to look you up, I'd be able to find more of your music and listen to what it is that you do well to have a sense of whether it would be a good fit for us and our clients to sign you. So in, um, that, in that respect, it's a good idea. Yeah, and she just followed up with, can't you just take it down? I think that's probably a reasonable expectation that if you sign with an exclusive company that doesn't want it out in the wild anywhere, they would say, oh, you've got that on your website. Could you please take it down once we sign the contract? And that wouldn't right. be a, an untoward request from them at all or uncommon. Um, we're getting close to the end. we got f about four minutes left. I want to reread these two letters for people that tuned in late. And just so that they can understand that this problem... Um, Looks like I'm in the dark now. Why? What happened? Brighter when we started. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's right. You're on the East Coast. I need one of those uh, YouTube lights or something. Yeah, I've got one, two, three, four lights going here. One for the green screen behind me because green screens only work when they're lit up pretty well. One for that side of my face. One for that side of my face, and then this well, you one. Look good, Michael. That's right. <laughs> and, and, and I got in the car this morning and looked at myself in the rearview mirror and went, I wore a checkered shirt. Not good for being on TV, but it's, it's not going squiggly so great. All right, so a um, couple letters. This one is from Tom, our senior director of A&R Taxi, who's the person that does the vast majority of the outreach to companies that work with us and the back and forth with them. And he says, Michael, as you know, XYZ Company, uh, not mentioning the company's name, was a very consistent client for us from 2019 through 2021. Our contact there always seemed pleased with our output, obviously, or they wouldn't have kept running listings. I don't recall him expressing any complaints or concerns with our service. Unfortunately, he hasn't reached out to us at all in 2022, and he was no longer responding to my monthly outreach, because normally people say, hey, thanks for checking in, don't need anything right now. I wrote him yesterday, and he finally responded with the following. Hey, Tom, all's well, and thanks, all's well, thanks, and how about you? If I'm honest, we've just had too many issues with the writers from taxis saying they can give us the rights we need, we then work with them, and after loads of time spent working on tracks, it turns out they have already released them elsewhere, that kind of issue. So um, I think we've heard this from other companies. He's the only one that's put it in writing like this. But this very problem with people either releasing it all over the place or the fact that they've already done a publishing deal or an admin deal with 
any of the aforementioned companies. And we also got this email from Pedro the other day, which is what made me decide to do this show because we're getting this more and more often. These companies are not going to run listings with us if we create more work and more potential legal issues for them. They're just going to say, hey, been a good run, taxi. We're out of here. Um, so this letter from Pedro said, I uh, hope you guys are doing really well. Uh, just wanted to give you a heads up that we are more and more running into songs that artists and writers have signed publishing admin deals with their distributors or with Song Trust. From the last several song listings, my production coordinator reported some 60% of the people who submitted, made it through the taxi filter into their hands, 60% of those members <clears throat> had actually signed those deals. So we are going to start putting that in all of Pedro's listings. We're probably going to end up putting it in every single listing we run for every company. Please don't submit music if you have done a deal with a digital distributor that makes them a publisher, non-exclusive or exclusive, or a publishing admin. You cannot submit that music because the libraries will not want to work with it. And our members will say, ooh, I feel like I'm being excluded. You guys, I can't believe it. But no, you have to understand the rules of the game and how business is conducted. The, again, goes back to my marriage with my lovely wife. We have <clears throat> an exclusive monogamous marriage. Even if we decided that we were going to have a so-called open marriage, like some Hollywood movie stars, um, you still can't go out and marry somebody else. You could, you know, play around with somebody else, but you couldn't marry them because you're in an exclusive agreement with your spouse. How did I ever keep that clean? I do not know. <laughs> That's hard for me. That's just it. If you've already signed that music exclusively, well, to sign another agreement, you would be breaking the original contract and breaking the new contract because the new contract won't allow you to sign that piece of music. And so we have that questionnaire and try to, you know, catch it early before it's too late. And, uh, but yeah, 60% was a very high number. I was shocked. Yeah, I'm shocked when I saw that email, I thought it might've been a typo. It was supposed to be like 0.6% or something. And I was seeing it dyslexically. <laughs> anyway, um, Pedro, thank you so much for agreeing to do this episode with me. Um, I'm, I'm sure that we'll, our, our, our reputations will be fine with CD baby, um, TuneCore, song trust, because they, again, I'm going to say it for like the fifth time. None of them are doing anything illegal, untoward, unethical. They just yeah. offer a service that has a conflict with you wanting to sign your stuff with a publisher. So yeah, it's a great service. And uh, yeah, if if you're not planning on having the music signed elsewhere, why not check that box? And if the song ends up being used somewhere, and you collect royalties thanks to that admin deal, why not? Yeah. I think it's great, but if you're wanting to be working in the sync world and, and publishing that music to regular film and TV publishers, uh, agents, whatever it is, um, then definitely you don't want to be encumbered by another agreement that essentially doesn't allow you to sign uh, the new agreements that are being presented to you said very very succinctly thank you 
Thank you for joining me on the show. Uh, loved hanging out with you Michael. yesterday. Uh, we were texting pictures, uh, vacation <laughs> pictures back and forth and stuff. It was great. Uh, and thank all you guys for watching. Please spread the word. Please go on the taxi forum and point people to this episode on YouTube. Um, please forward this episode to all your friends that are in the sync side of the business. Um, we need to get this out there. Robbie, if you could please feature this episode, maybe give a link out uh, in your group. Just anybody get this out there any way you can because it's becoming a real problem. Thanks for listening. See you next week. I have no idea what I'm doing on the show next week. And we will be back, though, for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Bye, guys. Keith LeBrant.